Tonight, uh, tonight I want to share a message to you uh, from, uh, from one of my favorite books in the Bible and one of my favorite stories. It's from Daniel chapter 3, which is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, but firstly, happy birthday, Steph Kutnick. 18 today. And uh, I want to read this whole chapter to you because this is an amazing story. If you haven't heard it before, you are in for a treat tonight. It reads just like a Hollywood movie. Uh, it's awesome. So I'm going to take a bit of time and it's going to be long, but we're going to get through it. And so if you've got your Bibles or your digital devices, such as iPhones and not Samsungs, there you go, Hub. Uh, Turn to Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to read along there. To give you a bit of an idea of what's happening here, there's a few young guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who we're going to look at tonight. And they have been taken captive when the Babylonians came and besieged their country. And these guys were handpicked, and they're in the temple, and they've been trained up, and they're serving in the palace, and they're serving the king in special duties, and, and they're kind of privileged amongst all the slaves. And in In chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream where he sees a statue uh, which represents all the different kingdoms of the world. And uh, when we pick it up in Daniel chapter 3, he's he's kind of taking that literally into his own hands. And so he's going to build himself a statue. That's the trailer. Let's get into the story. Verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And he sent messengers to the high, I'll get there, high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, pretty much everyone, to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the, the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, I'm sure there was an electric, electric guitar in there somewhere, bow down to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Can I hear a ooh? Oh. So at the sound of the musical instruments... All the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that the king had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They whinged and daubed and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of all these musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage in order that the boys be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I have set up? I will give you one more chance. Sounds like every parent, right? 
One more chance. To the count of three, to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Ha ha ha. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we say we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your measly, pointless power. I added that bit, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with the boys that he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest CrossFit men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, Geordi, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. That's all right. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So the boys, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men? And throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. So the boys stepped out of the fire. Everyone crowded around and saw that the fire had not touched them, not a hair on their head was singed, and their clothing was not scorched, they didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make this decree, if any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb. It's great. And their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. And then the boys were promoted to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. What a story, hey? What an amazing story of these young men and and what God can do. And I want to look at this tonight and and pull out three key points from their life, from their story that I believe as a church that we can capture, make a part of our life and and will, will take us even closer, even further to being the church that God has called us to be. Um, But before we go any further, let me just, just pray again, because I feel like we need to pray. You can never pray enough. Lord, we thank you that, um, that there's a gathering of people here tonight. And in your word, you promised us when there was more than two gathered in your name that you would be here amongst us. So in this large gathering of people, we thank you that you must be here amongst us, that your Holy Spirit has to be here working within our lives. So tonight, as we study your word, as we hear a message that has come from you, Lord, I pray that it touches hearts, that it changes our lives, that it's not just something that's taught, but it's something that is caught. And we leave here different, more empowered to go and do the work that you have called us to do. 
Amen. Well, while I just get ready here, why don't you just turn to the person next to you and say, I have been hoping to sit next to you all week. Now turn to the person on the other side that was your second choice and apologize. All right. Well, I love this story how there's these three young guys who, who are in a different culture, a different country, and uh, they're forced to break the number one commandment that we know as of Christians, which is you should have no other God before you. Should not worship any other idols. And here they are in a, in a culture and having a, a threat put upon their life that tells them that they have to bow their knee, worship their God, this God, not their God, and, uh, or risk getting thrown into a fiery furnace. No need for any more sound effects. And, uh, but what an amazing story to, to picture being in this position, surrounded by all these officials, the nation, all these people with the threat of this fiery furnace right there. And to boldly say to the king, listen, I know you're giving me one more chance. I know you're counting to three and threatening the punishment or grounding me or something like any other parent does. But I know that you are threatening me with this. But listen, don't even bother having the musical instruments even picked up from their stand because it wouldn't make any difference. No matter what's going to happen, no matter what you say, no matter what threat, I will not give in. I will stick to my convictions. I will not bow and bend the knee to something that is more comfortable and more convenient. And it's a great message that I'm sure many of us have heard many, many times brought out from this story about not conforming to the ways of the world, not bowing our knees to peer pressure, not giving in to the things that are coming around us, not doing the ways of the world over the ways of God and the things that we know to be true. But but I'm hoping tonight that we can pull out a different thought from this amazing example of these young guys who would not bow, would not give in to what was comfortable and what was convenient. But a couple of months ago, I was, I was driving in the morning and I had the privilege of having an empty car. And if you have young children, you know, it's almost like going on a holiday to have a 10 minute trip in the car. And so I had some music on and, and, um, and I was praying. I was driving along praying. And, and by praying, what I mean is that I was giving my list of demands to God of what I needed Him to do um, to, you know, for my life and the, you know, instructing Him on how to be a better God and how to, how to uh, do the things that I needed to fulfill the will. Don't laugh at me. We all do it. We all do it. You know, I can barely bake a cake, yet I think it's my job to tell the creator of the universe how to fold out the will of my life for me. So I was, I was driving along making all these demands, and God, if you do this, I'll be able to do that, and, and God, just do this for me, and God, what I need you to do is, and, and don't judge me, we all do it. We all pray what we want, our will, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, just do what I say, and... And I, I was driving along and, and I, was in a, I was in a place where I guess I was questioning something that I was doing, the will of God for my life. It wasn't, didn't seem to quite be working out as well as I thought it should be. 
And it was a decision that, that Mel and I had made that we believed was the right direction. And, and so I was in, in a spot in, in the car by myself enjoying my short vacation, uh, just telling God all the things that I needed him to do for me just so that I knew that I was on the right track. I need you to do this. God, I just need you to do that. And without any prompting, without any conscious thought or anything, uh, the words that were coming out of my mouth just changed. I need you to do this. I need you to do that. And then suddenly I just said, I need to trust you more. Well, that's not right. That's not what I need. I, so I, I, you know, my brain hadn't picked up yet. So I kept trying to spurt out all the things that I needed him to do in fine detail. I'd worked it all out for him. And, and, but out of my mouth just kept coming the same words. I need to trust you more. I need to trust you. Help me to trust you more, God. And my brain slowly started to catch up to what the Holy Spirit was obviously already doing in my heart. And I thought, yeah, you're right. God, I just need to trust you more. So I made the decision, the intentional decision to change my prayer. Every time my business plan for God kept popping back into my head, I just kept changing my prayer. I need to trust you more. I just kept saying it over and over and over again. And that morning I was, I was on my way to the gym, which is probably the greatest miracle that happened that day. And, um, but by the time I, I came out of there and you know, made sure that I wasn't dead and uh, learned to breathe again, I, I, I looked at my phone and there were three voicemail messages. And each one of those messages really confirmed the direction that I had gone. It was like an answer to prayer instantly as I began to trust God and only rely upon Him, not what I thought should happen. It's like my prayers were answered. And not only that, like instantly within a couple of hours, and not only that, they were far better than anything that I had suggested to God that morning. And it taught me a great lesson. I went home and I, I told Mel about it, and she slapped me and said, why couldn't you have done that a couple of months ago? And, um, but a lesson in realizing that what we need to do, all we need to do in life is really to just trust God. And Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend upon your own understanding. How often do we make a deal with God? How often will you admit that you do the same thing that I was so guilty of, where we want to do a bit of a deal with God? God, if you do this, I'll be able to do that. You know, not trusting in God, but leaning on our own understanding of how we think it should be. Look, God, if you, if you give me this new job, then that will mean that I will have more time to serve you. So you need to give me the new job. God, if, if, uh, if, if you increase the profit in my business, I'll be able to tithe. So you do that and, and then I'll be able to do that. How often do we make a deal with God? and lean on our own understanding of things. But I think this story of these three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the example that they give us about not bowing the knee, regardless of the outcome, is a great lesson in not making a deal with God. You know, they said, with everyone around them, with probably other Jewish men saying to them, look, just do it, it's easier. Don't risk your life over this. It doesn't matter how they still refused to bow the knee regardless of the outcome. Now, what would it be for our life if we did the same thing in our 
deals with God. You know, God, I'm going to, I'm going to step out and I know you've put it on my heart to go and talk to my neighbor about God. Even if that person doesn't respond, even if they ridicule me, even if they never want to see me again, it's not going to change me doing it again. Not compromising. You know, God, I am going to give sacrifice. I'm going to give my tithes and my offerings every week. And even if you don't add a zero to my bank account automatically overnight, I will still give the next week. Because that is my conviction. I'm not willing to bow my knee to what is convenient, what is more comfortable. Because we need to, like Proverbs 3.5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, not depend upon our own understanding. Because you see, our own understanding just doesn't make sense. Like I said, I can't even cook a cake unless it's in a thermomix. How then can I instruct the creator of the world on what to do? How can I make a deal with him? Should I not just trust him and not trust my own understanding of what I believe the outcome should be? Everyone knows in 1 Corinthians 13, there's the, there's the passages about love is patient, love is kind. In verse 12 after that, it says, Paul speaking, Now we see things imperfect, imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But one day, we will see everything with perfect clarity. You see, we don't have the same thinking that God has. This is why it's so important in our life to not lean on our own understanding because we don't see things the same way that God sees them. He sees things outside of things. He he sees it like my example of getting those phone calls that were far better than anything that I could have ever dreamed or asked God for earlier that morning. But it's all when we decide that we're going to trust God regardless of what the outcome will be, regardless of what pressure is around us. You know, there's, there's a young man in this church who a year or two ago was invited to an Easter service and he politely and respectfully said, no way. The next year, that man is in this Easter service this year with his hands lifted high, thanking his Savior for what he did for him at Easter. And the reason why he is here is because there was another young man who said, you know what, I am going to step out and share my faith. I'm going to invite my friends. I'm going to tell people about Jesus, even if they say no to me, even if they do not come, even if they laugh at me or ridicule me, I still will continue to do it. And that's the power that we can have if we trust in God and not lean on our own understanding. A few chapters over in Daniel chapter 10, there's an awesome little story about Daniel sending a prayer to God in an incredible time of need in his life. And uh, he was asking God for an answer, and it says it took 21 days for an answer to come. 21 days of him seeking God, of him praying, fasting, waiting for God. And eventually an angel came and appeared to him. And uh, he said to him, look, the minute that you prayed, God sent me. The minute he heard your prayer, he sent me. But for 21 days, I have been fighting in the spiritual realm. The prince of this country that was stopping me from getting to you. And it was only when another angel, Michael, came and took over the fight that this angel was able to get through and deliver this message to Daniel. You see, that's why it's so critical, church, that we 
don't lean on our own understanding. Here's Daniel, sent up a prayer to God. 21 days, had no idea what was happening in God's understanding of things before the answer could come to him. But we just got to trust God. Trust the Lord with all our heart. Number two. All right, I love a campfire. Anyone else? Campfire. Some of you know my stories about campfires that tend to be more like blazing furnaces. But we don't have time to go into that or none of you would ever send your kids on a youth camp again. But I love a campfire. And uh, in, in our backyard, we have a fireplace out the back that you can sit around. I've got a chimney here. I've got another fireplace that I drag around. And, and I love, yeah, everywhere, just surrounded by fire. Uh, I love in winter, you know, pulling the fireplace out, getting a big fire going, mellow cook soup. And we've got this old green lounge that we drag out. And, and we did it just the other week, just in the bitterly cold, just crowded around this fire at night eating soup as a family and then reading and, you know, I work out there on my laptop at night. I just love fires. But the greatest problem with a fire is the smell of smoke. You know, you spend 10 minutes around a fire and you just come in, it's in your hair, it's in your clothes, it's on your skin, you just smell of smoke. If someone's been around a fire, you know because they, they stink of it, they smell of it. And I would love it. I would have a fire every single night if it wasn't for the laundry basket. Every night having to put the clothes back in there. I've tried to keep them, put them aside and put them in the cupboard. But you know, if something smells of smoke, it just ends up making the whole cupboard smell. And that gets me in even more trouble. But I love it. But except for this smell of smoke. But for some reason, for our boys here, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they they didn't smell like smoke. It says in verse 27 that when they came out of the fire, not only were their clothes not damaged, but they didn't even smell of smoke. And the author left that to the very last. He put an exclamation mark after it to to show how important and how surprised it was. Because I guess on some far stretch, you might be able to find some scientific anomaly or fact as to why They survived the fiery furnace. But you could never deny that they didn't smell of smoke. Because when you know when you've got a campfire, you don't have to be the person sitting near it. If someone down the end of your street has a, a campfire in their backyard, you can smell it in the whole suburb. Smoke just smells, it's everywhere. But for some reason, these guys, when they went through the fiery furnace, when they came out the other side, Yeah, their clothes were fine. They survived. Let's not worry about the importance of that. How surprising they don't smell like smoke. I'd be more worried about how they were alive. But Philippians 2 verse 14 to 16 says, Do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering, no second guessing allowed. Go out into the world uncorrupted. A breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and the living God. Carry the light, giving message into the night so I'll have good cause to be proud of you on the day that Christ returns. You'll be living proof that I didn't go to all this work for nothing. People who don't smell like smoke after they've been through the fiery furnace are a breath of fresh air in a polluted society. 
Now, I was born in, in 1980, which if you, if you get a, if you get a, you know, look at things, and I am right on the border of being Generation X and Generation Y, somewhere in between there. 1980 is normally the cutoff. Now, Generation Y, everyone will know, is like identified by the, ta- by the, the idea that their smartphone is permanently attached to their hand. Yeah, they're Instagramming, Facebooking, tweeting, pinning things on Instagram. I'm not having a go. They're constantly attached to this communication device where Generation X, where I, I, I make myself Generation X because I don't want to be put in the other side. Uh, we're kind of like, yeah, we know we need to have Facebook, but we don't really like it. So because I'm caught in the middle, I kind of go between. You know, if it's cool, I'll do Instagram and Every now and then, I'll just not do it forever. And, uh, but a couple of years ago, Mel and I were serving at another church, and I was leading a team there. And I was, at that time, I was having uh, uh, a love-hate relationship with a certain telecommunications company that provided internet to my house. I won't say who it is, but they were a telecommunications company in Australia. Right, and so I, I work from home. I have an internet-based business, so it's really frustrating when, when it doesn't work, and it's been going on for years. But that's not the purpose of this message tonight. And so one day I was having the frustration, and I decided that I was going to tweet about it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just tune out. Don't worry about it. So I started posting on Twitter my thoughts and my feelings towards this certain telecommunications company and the kind of problems that I was having with them. And I was getting a bit Gen Y and getting carried away and and getting quite into it. And someone who was at the church in this team that I was leading replied to one of my tweets and said, wow, Adam's in a bad mood today. And I thought, you know what? I smell like smoke. Here I am as someone who wants to be the church, someone who goes through trials and tribulations and challenges and obstacles in my life like anyone else. But I'm coming out the other side of this dealing with this telecommunications company and all I do is stink like smoke. Whereas in Philippians, I've been told that I should be a breath of fresh air in this polluted society. Yet all I was doing was just being another polluter, adding to the smoke that was in the sky. You know, as, as Christians, as people who trust God and lean not on our own understanding, who want to see the message of Jesus Christ influence the worlds where we're in, we need to be a breath of fresh air. Not come out of our challenges and obstacles in life stinking of smoke, adding to the pollution in this squalid world. It goes on in there to say that we need to provide people a glimpse of good living and of the living God. That's what we do in this world. Matthew 5.14, we are to go and be the light. We are to go and be fresh air, provide people a glimpse of God in this society. But how can we do that if we're not being that breath of fresh air to this world? How can we be that if we are just like everyone else having a whinge? And I know that I'm, I'm playing it down with just an issue with internet, which at the end of the day is not the end of the world for most people who aren't Generation Y. 
But we all go through things in our life, challenges and obstacles. And the question and the challenge tonight is, are we going to come out of that being a breath of fresh air in a polluted world or are we going to come out of it smelling like smoke? Because like I said earlier, when you get rid of those clothes that you've been sitting around the campfire in and you shove them in your cupboard, the whole cupboard starts to smell of smoke. Everything around you starts to smell of smoke, but we are called to influence the world with a message of hope, not a message of smoke in a polluted world. Romans 12 verse 2, that very popular scripture says, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Firstly, trusting in God. Not leaning on our own understanding, our own thinking, but secondly, being a breath of fresh air to this world that is already so polluted. Number three, we need to function in our title. And uh, I hope that I can communicate this point as, as good as it was revealed to me because this really changed my mind, changed my thinking when God showed this to me. In verse 28, it says, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But to understand the importance of why this verse is so important tonight is we need to know a bit of the background. As you see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that, that, they were, that was the Babylonian names that they were given when they were captured. And Shadrach means... Uh, to serve the god of Aku, which was the Babylonian god for the moon. And Meshach means the one that draws with force. Abednego means servant to the Babylonian god of wisdom. These were the names that were given for the culture and the society and the, the place where they were working in the palace. These were the names that they were given to them. But their Hebrew names, Shadrach was named Hananiah, which meant grace and mercy, a gift of the Lord. Meshach was Mishael, which is one who is like God. Abednego was named Azariah, one who hears from the Lord. Such wonderful names, but changed when they went into this different society, this different culture that they had to function within. But I believe for us to go and be the church when we're trusting in the Lord, when we're being a breath of fresh air, is to go and function in the title that we're being given. You see, we might know that in ourselves that we are people who understand the grace and the mercy and the gift of the Lord, like the name Hananiah that we might be striving to be more like God, like Mishael or like Azariah, being people who hear from the Lord. But you see, in our worlds that we influence, in your workplace, your school, your sporting club, your neighborhood, you're known by a different title. A title that this world, that society, that our culture gives you. For some of you, you might be called teacher, taxi driver, bus driver, secretary, receptionist, principal, office worker, coach. These are the titles that our world, our culture know us by. They don't know us as the ones who understand the grace of God, who want to be like God, who hear from the Lord. They know us by the thing that we function in every single day. 
And when King Nebuchadnezzar had a revelation of who God was, as someone who could, was more powerful than him, as someone who could deliver these men from the furnace, as someone who would walk through the fire with them, he didn't say, It was the God of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He said it's the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in our church, as we go and be the church, you see, I believe that as people who can trust in the Lord and not our own understanding, as people who can be a fresher breath air in a polluted world, that it is by our title and where we function that God will be made known. Stories like, you know, my son's teacher. I hear her pray every day for the students. There's something different about her. There's something I want to know. I want to know the God of my teacher. My son who gets skateboard lessons, when he goes and he sees the coach, this coach, you've got to to get to know this coach because he's like a breath of fresh air compared to every other young person. He's polite. He's nice. He never says a foul word. I want to know the God of my coach. You see, we need to function in the title that we have been given in the world that we influence. No matter where we are, what we do, whether we're a teacher, whether we're a friend, whether we're a neighbor, whether we're a random stranger, that's the place and that's the plan that God has for us to make Him known. Stories like, you know, the other night I was driving along and my car broke down and a man stopped and helped me changed the tire, got me on my way. He wrote his number on the back of a your invited card to some place called North Lake Salvos if I needed him. I want to know that God. I want to know the God of the random stranger. The one who put himself down. Didn't choose comfort and convenience, but it got out of his car. I want to know that God. I want to know the God that makes someone want to do that. Makes someone be a breath of fresh air in their world. See, we all are in a place. We've all been positioned. We've all been given a title. And that is where we go when we be the church. You might not like the place you're in. I'm I'm sure Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't like being slaves. But they still functioned to the title that they were given. And through the fact that they trusted in the Lord, regardless of the outcome, let not on their own understanding of a situation, that they became a breath of fresh air by not smelling of smoke that a king's heart was changed, that a nation was changed and turned towards God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why can we trust in God? Well, we sung it earlier because he's the name above all names. Name above our understanding, name above our fear, name above our inability, the name above every name. That's why we can trust in Him.
You know, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Bible tells us that when they were in the fiery furnace, some translations say the fourth figure looked like the Son of God. We know that to be Jesus. We can trust in Him because no matter what we walk through in our life, no matter the obstacles, the challenges, that sometimes leave us smelling like smoke and other times make us a breath of fresh air. When we're walking through them, He's always with us. Psalm 23 says that even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear nothing because He's with us. Hebrews 6 tells us that our hope is in Jesus Christ. It's like an anchor for our soul. No matter how far, no matter how many fiery furnaces we need to walk through, we can always be anchored to that confident hope that we have in Jesus Christ when we trust Him. Leaning not on our own understanding and deciding to be a breath of fresh air. We're going to close by singing this song tonight. So I'm going to invite the band to come. And sing about this name that is above every other name. Acts 4 tells us that there is salvation in no one else. That God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And I want to tell you tonight, if you have never put your trust in God before, then tonight you have that opportunity. You see, as Christians, we don't have to put our trust into relationships, into the economy, into our workplace, into our superannuation plan. We just have to put our trust into God our trust in Jesus Christ, that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us. And I want to tell you tonight that if you have never put your trust in God, if you have found yourself in a place where you're scared, where you're concerned, where you don't know where to go, then tonight you need to put your trust into Jesus Christ. Lean not on your own understanding not your own way of solving problems or the way that society might tell us, but simply in Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 tells us that every knee shall bow to the name of Jesus Christ. There's nothing going on in your life, no fiery furnace that he can't walk with you through, no challenge, no obstacle that his name is not greater than. And when we trust in Him, we can have that confident hope that not only will we get through the fiery furnace, but we can come out smelling like roses. Like it says in John 10.10, a life and a life that's abundant. So I want to pray tonight and I just feel to to pray for anyone who hasn't ever put their trust in Jesus Christ before. And uh, we, we know as Christians that, that walking with God is a journey. It starts with a decision, but being a Christian is not about saying, I have obtained perfection. It's actually the opposite. It's admitting that we're not perfect. We need help. We're sinners. We need the help of a Savior. And Christianity is about taking one step after another every single day. It's not about getting to a destination. We're always on a journey to be more like God and to know Him more. 
But that journey always starts with a decision to invite God into your life, to say, I don't want to live putting my trust in things that are far less than the superior name of Jesus Christ. And so tonight I want to pray for anyone who has never put their faith in Jesus Christ, but has decided that enough is enough and they want to live a life that is different. A life that is full of fresh air. A life that is trusting in a God that is greater. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a prayer. And if you've never made that decision, I want you to pray along with me. And I might actually ask the whole church to pray along so that you're not the only one. And if you're praying this for the first time, you just close your eyes and pray with us. But can you do that for me, church? Dear Jesus, I know I'm not where I need to be. And I realize that I need you in my life. I believe that you died and that you rose again. I want a fresh start. I want you in my life. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.